0: What if you didn't start reading until third or fourth grade? What if all you heard in your academic experience was, she can't do this, she can't do that? Honestly, the answers to these questions, for me, are not the answers that Maggie gives us. In this interview, we listen to Maggie's story of perseverance, standing up in the face of challenges, And a support system that never gave up for her. She's currently a junior at a boarding school in New Hampshire, a student leader, and a strong, confident student. And yet, at eight years old, she was unable to read. I wanted to let you know of a couple updates that are happening with Peers Not Fears. This podcast is taking off. I have a lot of really incredible interviews that I've recorded, planning to record. I'm very excited for 2023. From all of the learning that I've gained through these interviews with these amazing students, I am embarking on a journey of writing a book. I am aiming To complete in 2023, the audience for my book are high school and middle school teachers who focus on teaching content through leadership. They support student voice, and they maybe don't subscribe to the way education has always been. It's not going to be a book on what to teach as much as it is a way to empower young adults to build their voice, confidence, and skills creating a place for challenges where failure is celebrated and the norm. Welcome to the podcast, Education Unimagined, where we give students an opportunity to share their voice in a system where often their voice is unheard. I ask them to share their experience and advice on how we can improve the experience for everyone. Maggie, welcome to the podcast, Unimagined. I would love for you to start by giving us a little background on
1: who you are. I'm from Milton, Massachusetts, which is right outside of Boston. I am 16 years old. I'm a current junior. I was diagnosed with dyslexia between third and fourth grade, late on diagnosis. I have a sister. You have an older sister, correct? Yes.
0: I want to thank you for being willing to tell your story because I think you have a very unique story about your diagnoses and how it impacted your ability to navigate education. Will you share about what it was like before you were diagnosed and what education felt like for you as someone who struggled learning in the traditional sense?
1: I couldn't read before fourth grade, so my reading was so delayed. Right before I was diagnosed, I could sense something was off about me, but I really could never pinpoint it because I was a little third grader. <laughs> but my mom was definitely on high alert because my sister who's eight years older than me. She was already in middle school and high school. She was fine academically. But then there was like little Maggie <laughs> doesn't like school, cries every time she comes back, can't do homework, can't focus, really. My mom just always says to me like, I want you to love school. I don't want you to go back Back to the point where you hated it
0: in most things, do you find that you are confident? And are there areas of your life that you feel you have less confidence or more confidence than your peers?
1: I feel like once I learned how to read, my parents talked to me about like, this is going to be hard. this is going to be difficult. You're going to have to work for things. I was told for a while, she can't do this. She can't do that. I can't, I can't, I can't. And then it was more like, oh, I can read, I can do something. I pushed myself very, very hard to the point where I was getting hundreds and I was getting 90s and high on a roll, which is something that still happens today. I'm very proud of, but everyone often says like, Maggie, you're so smart. You do this, you do that. And I'm like, yes, I'm smart. But I had come a long way before I like had the confidence to raise my hand in class and contribute to discussions and answer questions because I was the little kid in the corner with her spelling test coming back with red circle after red circle after red circle of words that I couldn't spell or read.
0: You mentioned that you heard a lot of, she can't do this, she can't do that. How did you persevere when you would say to yourself, I can't do these things? Who in your life were the key influencers for you to help you see yourself as a strong learner?
1: I'd say definitely my mom and the teacher that taught me how to read were the first two that have always stuck with me. My mom would be driving me to and from school every day. And that dedication of like, I want you to be happy. What did you learn? How did you feel? Like kind of those questions. Seeing the progression and difference between third grade and fourth grade me was something that I don't think my mom realized is it, but it was something that was really beneficial to me. My fourth grade teacher, it, we had a really good relationship and she was one of the first teachers that asked me what is something I want to do. What is something that is a goal for you and I said I wanted to write a five-paragraph essay. I didn't even know how to read or write then, so I don't know where that came from, but she was like, okay. <laughs> we got to a paragraph, but she taught me how to read and write and frame paragraphs. I remember there's a section in the room that was for my tutoring and a list of words that made you feel good. It's like, Good, smart, happy, joy, all these words that had like a good connotation. It was something that was really beneficial.
0: I know that dyslexia is sort of mixing letters and order. If you could describe to me and the listeners what it's like for you and where you find the most challenge to be in your learning
1: I hear it a lot when I say to people, I'm dyslexic. Oh, so the numbers and letters mix together and they move around. And I'm like, not exactly. That could happen for some people. I know sometimes when I'm really tired or stressed out, the words can move horizontally. It's like two horizontal lines moving back and forth. I have also working memory, which I can sometimes not remember everything that somebody might tell me or like short-term or long-term it impacts me the most is when I feel completely lost when I don't understand anything that might be going on in the classroom or I zone out and I feel stressed it brings me back to the feeling where I didn't know what was going on sometimes if I feel like I have absolutely nowhere to go or I just can't do it I could shut down It's a lot sometimes. I think that's where it limits me the most.
0: Is there a type of class that you find to be more challenging?
1: I would say English and history, the reading and the writing aspect of it. The reading aspect especially is the hardest part. But this year, I'm taking an AP English course in history, and I purposely did that. (laughs) I really just wanted to learn how to write at a pace where I feel confident in what I am writing. That was my main goal. And being able to connect different elements is something that I think is very beneficial.
0: Those are pretty interesting characteristics that you chose to challenge yourself in an area where you might have an additional challenge of your own, what would you say it felt like for you to have a name for the reason or the challenge that you were having?
1: I didn't really... Understand what it meant until I got to middle school, and my mom was like, Okay, so on tests or quizzes, you have extended time because you're dyslexic. Sixth grade year for me was a very big turning point for my advocacy. I have a sister who's eight years older than me, so I saw her doing things on her own. And like any younger sister, that's something you want to do. I would push my mom away and be like, I can do it, mom, and I still do it today. because she's always going to be worried about me.
0: What was it like to be the younger sister of a student who didn't seem to struggle in traditional education?
1: The listening aspect for my leadership skills came from sitting at the dining room table, listening to my sister and my parents talk about her school, how well she's doing. She did struggle in school, but not at the younger stages like I did. But she was on top of her class. She was a global scholar. She was a peer tutor. She did all these things. And then it's just like, Maggie can't even read. (laughs) So all of these amazing things. And then I felt different. And like I said, you want to be like the older sibling, you are trying to be like them. And she went to the same middle school I went to. But then I left because, I mean, my sister had graduated when I started. She was amazing. She was the teacher's favorite in the class. She was respectful and all these things. And I was being called Holly. It was never like, how's your day? Maggie, how's Holly? (laughs) What's Holly up to? how's she doing? It really never felt like I could make my own path there. And I had one mini slip up one day where I was copying someone's homework in the hall and the principal had caught me and I was brought into the office. It was almost like a line of questioning of like, why did you do this? You're ruining your family's name. What about Holly's reputation that she made here? And that, that's when I knew there's a difference between belonging and fitting in. And I was trying to fit in and fill in and belong into Holly's reputation, her amazing reputation. But I'm a completely different person, completely different learner. And one mini slip up defined my whole year and defined how people see me was something that bothered me and will always bother me.
0: I had you as a 10th grader. and. And in fact, it wasn't until mid-October when I met your parents that I was really aware that you had this challenge. It was almost shocking (laughs) to know that you had struggled in any way. Do you think it's helpful for your teachers to know that you struggle in a certain way or do you think it's better for a teacher to not necessarily know and make assumptions
1: i'm always a little nervous to tell my teachers i get extra time i get a private room if i need it I feel like teachers having that knowledge they'll create a sense of empathy and sympathy for that person, which is, I think, very important in teaching. Creating relationships and different ways where you can connect with students is something that will make the student want to go to your class more and make a student happy to learn. When you feel supported, especially in the classroom, when I feel like a teacher is very understanding and I email, I know we have a test tomorrow, and I get a private space and extra time, and they're like, okay, where do you want to be? It's the ball in my court instead of a teacher dictating my learning. When students almost dictate their learning in a positive way where they're doing the work and they're engaged, it is much more beneficial than a teacher standing up and being like, we're doing this, this, and this today, and you're going to do it my way. <laughs>
0: Talk about how you've grown as a leader and a student.
1: In leadership, I won't be the first one to talk. I'll never be the first one to jump in and talk because I've noticed over the years that I'm a listener. I listen and I take things in and I put in my values and my morals where I think it's necessary. I really love leadership and being able to influence the groups of people, seeing them branch out, be club leaders, then move on to influence people just makes me so happy. I'd say is my favorite part of leadership and something that I find a lot of joy and pride in.
0: Self and academic validation helped you grow as a leader and a student, but challenged you and was almost damaging. Can you tell me more about something that challenged you but impacted you in a more negative way?
1: I relate this to a good job sticker. I was always on the lookout and the need for the highest in the class the best in the class because I was at the bottom and not even close to the middle and not even succeeding at all so when I did find that success I couldn't let go of it and it beat myself up about it the culture of education these days where you need to get a hundred to have a good grade I mean after any test when have you not heard people around the room saying what did you get? And everyone these days recognize that this is unhealthy, but we still all do it. (laughs) We still continue to do it. I want to stop that mentality in my mind, especially junior year. It's college kickoff soon. That's another aspect of where are you going? What you doing? Is your GPA high enough? Have you done enough to get you into a good college?
0: You sort of shared that it's the culture of education. What might be a better approach to communicate to kids where their learning is rather than a hundred or an A in classes?
1: It's honestly something that I think about a lot. It's not viewed as I'm reaching for this and this is something I really want to get to. And it's sometimes seen as a negative, but maybe I hate to say don't give grades. I don't know. It's something that I'd have to think about. It's like the question, what would happen if you removed money from the world? Everything would either fall apart or it would be great. And (laughs) you just never know. know
0: (laughs) how do you imagine you would approach class if you didn't get a number and you just got feedback or you got a conference with your teacher once a week what would change for you not to be driven by a number
1: I think for me if it just happened overnight it would be an initial shift I mean, I've been driven by numbers for so long. And that's, again, crazy to me. And it's like different to even think about how a number, an 80% success rate sounds amazing in a study. But right now in a class, if I have an eight, I start worrying. I start like freaking out. And I'm like, why, why wasn't even like an 85 or a 90? What did I do wrong? So that's something that would be hard to get get away from but if grades went away to all together and you have a conference with your teacher i think feedback is a blessing in disguise almost as much as you don't want to hear it all the time because it might be negative if the teacher does it well it can be life-changing i wish we could live in a world where a number didn't reflect on somebody if we look at even some of my classmates who like someone's getting a 50 in math but a 95 in English. That 50 is what is bringing them down and making them feel stupid. But you know what? It doesn't really mean anything except that it's harder for you in math. I think it would create kind of a better school system, but it would definitely be a shift for everybody. And I mean, I hate to say it would have to have has how it has always started type of thing.
0: Very true. It sounds like feedback is more valuable than the grade, but I can hear the fear in your voice. And then I also am thinking about the scale that you mentioned, you know, how an 80 in any other situation is a valid number, but 80 in an academic classroom is not always seen as a valid achievement. How do we shift academics to supporting that failure is really not completing anything and failure is no attempts?
1: I think failure is something that people are always going to see it as negative. I see it as somewhere I can grow from, but is that just me trying to Accept it, that saying, instead of like actually putting it into use in my like everyday life. I definitely do believe failure can lead to success, but I want to get it right the first couple times before that. The question's hard. It's like everybody's brains are programmed to not failing, not failing, not failing. And Creating a different connotation of it is something that, I mean, I don't even know if I could even do in my head.
0: By doing school in the attempt of comparison, I think, yeah, failure is always going to be seen as a negative because if I'm failing and you're succeeding, then I'm bad and you're good. But if we're all on our own path and we're not comparing each other to the other person, then failure doesn't feel like failure it just feels like an attempt thank you for joining me and sharing your story and giving some insights as to what it's like to learn differently persevere and find yourself not reading at age eight and in ap english classes at age 17 so pretty awesome there's a new look to the podcast. We have changed our name to Education Unimagined. For that reason, we are taking a slightly different focus moving forward. We are going to take the lessons learned from student voices. There's more to advice than just listening. After having these conversations with students, it changed me. I put some of their suggestions into my practice, and I noticed a difference. I was more connected with this Students, my relationships were stronger, and it made me a better educator. I'd love for you to take some of these lessons that you've learned and put them into practice or share some of the lessons that you have learned from your students. It's more than just hearing student voices, it's learning from them. You can follow me and share your own experiences on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok at PeersNotBeers. I want to share an analogy about a basketball team. If you are creating a basketball team, the likelihood that you are going to stack your team with natural basketball athletes is pretty slim. You know, as a coach, that you have to train athletes to become better athletes. You have to coach them. You have to guide them. Leadership is the same thing. We have to train leaders. We have to guide leaders. We have to coach leaders. And if you or somebody you know is someone who could use some of those leadership trainings, I have a great program for you. It's called the Leadership Academy. And if you search peers, not fears, you will come across my Leadership Academy, which is available for... unlimited access to do leadership training. It is broken into modules. You can do them in order or out of order, whatever you need. You can repeat them for $500. You have access to this leadership academy for a lifetime. The theme music for this podcast, Unimagined, was written and produced by another fellow educator, Keith McClendon.